0: Good Tuesday morning, guys. My name is Jerry Miller, and welcome to the Jerry and Jerry Show. Thank you kindly for joining us. We are live in downtown Charlottesville, Virginia, the home of the University of Virginia. Our audience, though, anyone who is a college sports fan and today's program is absolutely loaded. If you love sports, there's no better show than a show co-hosted by Jerry Hoody Ratcliffe, the man who created a website that we visit every day, jerryratcliffe.com and an institution and an icon that was inducted earlier to the Virginia Sports Hall of Fame. So many storylines to cover. I encourage you guys to look at the screen here in a matter of moments as we highlight headlines on screen. Judah Wickhauer, our director, why don't we go to the two-shot and welcome Hootie Ratcliffe, Jerry Ratcliffe, guys. The best boss I have ever had and a man that needs absolutely no introduction in the Atlantic Coast Conference beat. Hootie, my friend, good Tuesday morning to you.
1: Thank you, Jerry, and it's. Uh, I'm excited and thrilled to, to reunite with you after all these years. Uh, I've admired what you've done and how you've succeeded from afar, and uh, it's great to be Partnering up with you again—it's
0: truly my pleasure. The gentleman on set has an award that is so heavy. When he was putting it on set, <laughs> it may have taken two of us to get us get it on the table over here. It's pretty this, heavy. This man is a Virginia Sports Hall of Famer. Judah, why don't we get a close-in one shot on Hootie's award? What does it mean to be in the Virginia Sports Hall of Fame, Jerry Ratcliffe?
1: Well, uh, it's—it was the thrill of a lifetime, Jerry. I, it, it makes you feel like that. All the work that you put in over the years, and all the late nights and uh, endless driving and into the night, uh, coming back from nine o'clock ball games on the road, uh, all the deadline pressure, all that stuff that, that was really worth was really worth it. That you've made an impact somewhere along the way, and hopefully entertained people, touched their lives, made them think, made them laugh, made them cry, made them cuss, <laughs> and so. Um, It was just the culmination of of a a lifetime career. That's all I've done in my life, and uh, it was just an incredible weekend. Uh, Will Driscoll, the new executive director of the Virginia State Hall of Fame down in Virginia Beach, has done a marvelous job in pushing that organization forward, and I, I think the best is yet to come. He wants to spread it all over the state. It's been centric mostly to the Tidewater area for years. Uh, the the former home was in Portsmouth. Uh, it doesn't really have a current home and so he's trying to make the whole state of Virginia its home and, and honor people from all over the state and uh, I'm so proud to be a representative of Charlottesville in, in the Hall. And It was great. Uh, it was the 50th class of the Hall of Fame and They they made it a special weekend. They rolled out the red carpet, treated you like royalty. We had uh, several hundred people there for the breakfast and then uh, several hundred more there for the induction ceremony that night. And I was so proud to go in with a couple of people that I have covered in my career. Sean Moore, arguably the best quarterback in Virginia history. And Ryan Zimmerman, uh, the face of the Washington Nationals for – so long and uh, World Series T- World Series winner World Series yeah. winner and uh, I, mean, I, I think I think he'll probably be in the hall of, the Hall of Fame someday, Baseball Hall of Fame and uh, Women Mary coach Jimmy Laycock, Uh it was really cool to, to go in with him I've uh, always had a lot of uh, admiration for his career uh, what he did at William & Mary was unbelievable. So, to go in with that class uh, along with a few other
0: people uh, was just uh, a dream come true. Absolutely amazing. Sean Moore, Ryan Zimmerman, Jimmy Laycock, Jerry Hooty Ratcliffe the 50th year of the inductee into the Virginia Sports Hall of Fame. He's got an award next to him that is uh, like Waterford crystal heavy. Uh, it's so big time over there. It just speaks to his, pe- his pedigree and his uh, reputation covering the Atlantic Coast Conference, covering college sports. Hell, he covered pro sports for a number of times. The The irony of us hooking up here is when I was a student at the University of Virginia, 21 years uh, ago, I walked into his newsroom at the Daily Progress and I pretty much begged him for a (laughs) part-time job in his sports section. And undoubtedly, the best boss I have ever had, this man, Jerry Ratcliffe. You guys see headlines on screen. They will rotate um, as a one-shot gets on screen. You'll see what we're talking about. Hootie, we got folks in four different states watching us right now. Earlysville's in the house. Crozet's in the house. Richmond, Virginia is in the house. Alexandria, McLean, Short Pump, Philadelphia, Nashville, Buckhead, Georgia. I'm now seeing Nags Head, so that's four states in the house Um, What do you want to do with the show? What are some of the plans that you kind of had in mind for the Jerry and Jerry show?
1: Well, I think the concept we've come up with, sort of a PTI uh, format, is a nice way to approach things, just covering various topics that are on the minds of Virginia sports fans, ACC sports fans. And uh, obviously we can go into more than that, into college athletics or, or whatever but uh, I, I think it's to give people another option. Uh, you see, so many other, so many other news organizations these days cutting back, cutting their budgets, cutting their airtime, cutting their space, uh, cutting their coverage.
0: New York uh, Times just cut its sports department.
1: They, yes, I think the L.A. Times did as well, and uh, I think that's a, a trend that's going to continue. Really, which is a sad commentary on on the. The way we get our news these days but uh, it's we've seen it all across America a lot of it's hard to find sports columnists anymore because that's usually the first thing that goes in sports departments and I think that's the most interesting thing in a sports section myself is a sports columnist me too and um, that, that was always the first thing I read when I would go to another city this to see what uh, is being talked about and and getting those opinions from people who really know what's going on because they talk to the right people. One thing a lot of readers and and listeners probably don't know about our business, Jerry, and and I'm sure you found this out in your time working in the newspaper business, is we talk to sources all the time. And just because we... Find out things we can't report them. Sometimes they, you know, there's conditional things. You, you can use this off the record. You can't use me, my name, but you can use me as an, a source close to the program or whatever. A lot of times we know ten times more than what we're able to write, and but we use it as background information and uh, store that knowledge for future use. But um, I think that that's one thing that. Uh, I think has made a lot of people successful in this business is that they protect their sources and I know sometimes we get attacked because, oh, you're, it's an unnamed source, but they really are unnamed sources because they can't afford to give up their name because a lot of them would lose their job or position or come under incredible scrutiny if, if their names became public. So uh, We try to take you behind the scenes and give you knowledge that that perhaps you wouldn't get otherwise.
0: Um, Viewers and listeners watching the program now in six different states, Hootie, you have an opportunity to shape the discussion by leaving your comments on whatever social media platform you're watching upon. Just drop them in the feed. We aggregate all those comments in one place with our software, and we can relay it live on air. For example, John Blair and Stanton is saying, Jerry Ratcliffe is an institution. This is such a great show. You have this comment coming in from Grayson and North Downtown. Jerry, I've been looking forward to the Jerry and Jerry show since you've mentioned it last July. Wahoo wah, everyone. Mark Lickman, friend of yours, friend of mine, is watching great the guy. program. Great guy. Says, buenos dias, amigos. Looking forward to this collaboration. Johnny Ornalis, who's the owner of El Mariachi, the restaurant at Zion's Crossroads and Guadalajara on Jefferson Park Avenue. He's giving everybody props as well, and he says we should do a marching band intro for this program. We're not opposed to that. We're open to all ideas here on the Jerry and Jerry Show. Now, look at the screen. Here is your first headline, and Hootie Ratcliffe, it is what to expect with college sports conference realignment. Everyone who follows college sports in some capacity is seeing the Big Ten trying to get market share, the Big 12 trying to get market share, the SEC trying to get market share, and frankly speaking, a lot of us that are ACC fans, Pac-12 fans, are very, very nervous that the future of our respective conferences is not so bright. Open-ended question first, what do we expect with college sports realignment?
1: Well, I think a lot of people in the ACC are nervous because... Nobody expected the Pac-12 to just totally collapse last week. It was so sudden. They were within hours, Jerry, of coming up with a deal to uh, a TV rights deal that would, made, would have made them solid for years to come. But everybody panicked. Um, Arizona, Arizona State, Utah were looking to jump in the Big 12, who I think was pushing them to to come in, and uh, when that happened, I think Oregon and Washington hit the panic button and begged the Big Ten to take them in, along with Southern Cal and UCLA, which announced that last summer, uh, a year ago. Um, I think every, everybody is, is somewhat unstable and unsure of the future, and even though the ACC has what appears to be a, a, a locked-up, unbreakable grant of rights package there's still some panic in the the conference because all it would take is i think for one school to leave and it would make other people explore that situation and you know florida state has been yakking big time
0: Uh, i think the word from the was it the north carolina athletic director (laughs) barking
1: Barking, florida state right barking was a good word yeah um about how they're unhappy how they would like to go somewhere and, and close that financial gap that the SEC and Big Ten has over the ACC, which is, is going to grow with the next TV package coming out. Uh, as we speak, Jerry, I think the ACC presidents and ADs are discussing the possibility of bringing Stanford and California into the ACC. I know that's something that they... Have explored uh, heavily over the past several months. And they were actually going to meet and vote on that last Friday, but had to call off the vote because that's when the PAC 10 just crumbled before our eyes. And so I think, you know, a lot of people say, well, it's, it's, it would be absurd to bring in those two schools because what do they bring to the table? Um, it's going to be added expense, incredible hours. Uh, in airplanes if you send teams out there vice versa and do they financially add anything to the ACC well there's some argument about that it's not just a closed door like some people think it is Uh, yes Cal has not been very successful in football lately nor Stanford in the last year or two and obviously football is the engine that drives the train and and that's something that has driven a lot of the expansion is football, not really basketball or any other sport. So in that respect, it, Cal and Stanford don't bring a lot to the table. But what they do bring to the table is they give you added inventory, late-night inventory for games, which could uh, add to the ESPN package and lead to a uh, a more lucrative TV deal down the road when when they decide to renegotiate. They would have to tear up the current contract with ESPN I think if they add those teams. I don't know if they would add Washington State and Oregon State or not because even though those two programs have been a little bit more successful in football, nobody seems to want them for some reason. So The ACC is discussing those possibilities today. The, The other factors that if you bring Cal and Stanford into the conference, uh, obviously they're great academic institutions, which aligns greatly with the ACC's intentions and and what the ACC is is all about. Uh, It also opens a door to Las Vegas, Jerry, which a lot of people haven't thought much about because the Pac-12, now Pac-4 has a good relationship with las vegas they have their their conference championship football game there they have uh, some various basketball tournaments there las vegas could become a, a very very strong partner with the acc and pack four pack four could grow by bringing in some other teams from the mountain west or other schools that would be an incredible opportunity i think uh, It would shorten trips, for one thing. You could have some neutral site games there. Uh, You have the brand-new football stadium that the Raiders play in that you could play some football games in. They have uh, various venues for basketball. Las Vegas is an incredibly growing sports town, and people love to go there. Uh, Fans from both coasts love to go there. And... One thing that nobody has brought up, and I, I had in my column today, there's a the strong possibility that MGM or some other mega uh, casino type business could get uh, become a, a major sponsor of such an, uh, a partnership with the Pac-12 and Pac-4 and ACC, and we're talking about Gazillions of dollars, Jerry, and that's something that other conferences don't have privy to. So that could that could uh, really enhance the package. Should the ACC bring those schools in? And I I think that's one reason that the ACC is talking about that as we speak. I, I think that there's some incredible, some lucrative packages there that nobody else has thought of that could could uh, go a long way into preserving the ACC for a long, long time. Keep people like Florida State from barking so much. And uh, I don't think Clemson is really a a school that really wants to leave the Uh, ACC. Why would
0: Clemson want to leave? In football, they'll be top dog every year.
1: Yeah. I mean, if you jump in the SEC, be careful what you wish for. Exactly. Because you just become another average program in in that conference. You don't dominate the league like they have the ACC. So I think Florida State may find that out, too. They've been, they haven't really had much to bark about for several years since uh, Jimbo Fisher ran the program into the ground and left. Uh, they did have a decent season last year, but we'll see if they can sustain it.
0: Um, you're getting props from a lot of viewers and listeners. For example, Daniel Smith writes on Facebook, congratulations on the Hall of Fame, Hootie. Um, he's commenting from Texas. Seven states watching the Jerry and Jerry show right now. Viewers and listeners, you can leave your comments on any social media platform you're watching upon. We'll relay those comments live on air. If you have a question for either one of us, put them in the feed. We will also mention them on air. Ray Cadell loves you. Ray Cadell is giving you some props right now. The big cat. Yeah, Ray Cadell um, is a fantastic realtor and a fantastic... Um, Frontman for many different bands, one of the best horn players on the eastern seaboard, Ray Cadell, watching the program. Bill McChesney is giving you some props. We've dubbed him the mayor of McIntyre. He's watching the program live right now. Um, all right, so questions will come in. We'll get to this question here, um, and this one is from Wheeling, West Virginia, from Steven, saying, um, the ACC boys seems to have these schools locked up with a contract that was renegotiated in 2016. You mentioned that Florida State is barking about leaving the conference, but frankly speaking, the buyout is way too large for them to break this contract. Please ask Cootie about this topic.
1: Well, I think the exit fee uh, and the grant of rights would end up costing them maybe $300 million. That's a lot of money. That's a lot of money.
0: And was it the... The the um, head of the board of visitors and correct me if I'm wrong here a heavy hitter with Florida State yes made a comment on record in the last three or four days saying this exit clause is not going to keep us from leaving the ACC was that smoke and mirrors was that a bluff
1: I, I, I don't think so really wow I I, th- I think that some of the those their people are just really discontented with with the fact that the SEC schools are making and and the Big Ten schools are making so much more money, there's a huge chasm there that's going to get wider and deeper uh, once all these contracts expire and they renegotiate. Some Florida State people think that even though they might lose $300 million in the deal, that they could make $600 million down the road. So I think that's the one thing that uh, that uh, the reader just asked about that is driving Florida State's desire to explore another avenue. Uh, again, we're talking about a lot, a lot of money. But uh, if you feel like you're going to lose $300 million but gain $600 million, it it doesn't look quite so bad. It may take time for that to happen, but... Uh, we're talking, you know, we're not talking about a year or two. We're talking about ten, twenty years down the road. What, what are, what's college athletics going to look like? What are these programs going to look like? And Florida State, in in some circles, feel like it feels like it's worth the gamble. I personally, I, I I don't think it's a very smart move. But I'm not uh, part of the Florida State nation, so I, a Seminole nation. So I I don't know what they're thinking.
0: Uh, I agree a thousand percent. I mean, Florida State is not the Florida State of, of, of Charlie Ward and Warwick Dunn or, or Peter Bobby Warwick Baden, yeah. or Bobby Bowden. I mean, this is a team that in the Atlantic Coast Conference, as you highlighted, since Jimbo Fisher pieced out, has been slightly above average. Um, and certainly in the shadows of Clemson. I mean, what is Florida State thinking trying to jump into the Southeastern Conference where they would be even lower on the influence or the power totem pole? I mean, the SEC is as deep a conference when it comes to football as you get. Katie Pearl's got a comment. This is a great one. KTP, we love when you watch our shows. She says, fellas, I think with conference realignment, I would love to see more discussion about how these decisions will impact the student athletes and smaller sports thinking through the logistics of having to fly commercial across the country overnight and then having to be at a morning class the next day. And then she says, and go Knowles from a double seminal watching the program right now. So multiple degrees here from KTP from Florida State. Right. She wants us to talk um, maybe the non-revenue or the Olympic sports that don't have the amenities when it comes to travel, when going potentially across the country or, fo- or, or lengthening the travel pattern.
1: Well, that's something that has to be addressed, and that's something that I think has been overlooked by the uh, all this expansion. Uh, I mean, it's it's already enforced because Southern Cal and UCLA, and now Oregon and Washington, are going to have trips to College Park, Maryland, to Rutgers in uh, New Jersey, and vice versa. Uh, it, it's it's not it's going to put a strain on the student athlete. One one thing that some people have overlooked is a lot of these athletes, and they're already doing it, because uh, Virginia, for example, and some of the non-revenue sports, Olympic sports, are, are having to travel not only to Miami and, and places like that, but they play non-conference games across the coast. and. Uh, One thing that that a lot of people aren't aware of is a lot of these athletes they they're missing class time because of the travel, but they they can do their classwork online now. They can do it uh, on their laptops or their tablets or whatever. Uh, They don't always have to be in class the next morning. uh, I don't think, and and, and I I, I may be totally wrong on on that part of it. Some of them may have. I know some of them do come back from a late night, get back in the, into Charlottesville at 2 or 3 o'clock in the morning, and we'll be at a, a class the next day. But uh, I, I think the fact that, that they can do a lot of their work online helps ease some of that. Uh, the, the, if you if you do accept Cal and Stanford into the conference and, and you have to go out there, you could arrange it to where you can go out there for an extended stay and play. Cal on a a weekday or a weeknight and a couple of days later play Stanford Uh, so you could knock off a couple of of opponents a one-time trip and it it would ease a little bit of the pain and I'm sure that's something that they would look at coming east as well but I'm not sure there's any ideal situation for the student athlete and I think they're the people that get overlooked in this entire picture. Um, There are probably ways around it. I know that the conferences uh, are looking into uh, into those situations and and sharing airplanes and things to where um, they might not have to fly commercially. Uh, There might be uh, ways to cut down on the travel time or play at some neutral sites and things like that. But excuse me. But I, th- I think it does put a strain on the student-athlete, and they're the ones that get overlooked in this entire picture. And, uh, and that's a shame because they're, they're the ones that are doing all the work and, and getting um, <laughs> not getting a lot out of it except a great college experience and uh, a potential for stardom
0: in their sport professionally if they're good enough. Kimberly watching in Athens, Georgia. She says, we have you guys on the big screen at our home right now, Wahoo Wah, from a UVA graduate from the class of 2007, eight states now on the Jerry and Jerry show. Viewers and listeners, offer your perspective live in the feed, and we will relay your thoughts, your questions on air, on this program. It's a truly dynamic show. Twitter, jump in the mix. If you have anything you want to share, we're happy to relay it on air as well, Twitter. Twitter. Um, this is a good one that's come in. What does, uh, boys, what do you guys think is the future of media rights? The Pac-10, the Pac-12, or as Hootie called it, the Pac-4, was, was deep in negotiations with a streaming service through Apple, and that led to a number of the schools getting scared because it was not considered traditional media. Does Hootie or Jerry, do you think that the future of media rights is, is on a box, or is it streaming through services like Apple, amazon Hulu sling, or more that 's a hell of a question
1: that 's a great question and I wish I was more well schooled in those things i I actually subscribe to a streaming service for my television
0: uh, which one do you subscribe to it's uh
1: it's it 's one out of South carolina and uh, i, I don 't know i don 't know if it has a name, but I get like four thousand channels I get all the I get every sports network that's
0: imaginable. What do you pay for that one? Is not, it pretty affordable? Not
1: much. It's very affordable. Yeah. It's, it's, uh, it's like I feel like a thief. Really, it's so cheap. <laughs> um, I don't I don't know that it's successful to everybody, but uh, I. Was you got luck- the hookup, don't you? I was lucky. I got hooked up. <laughs> um, I, it, there's got to be a, a strong future in that because there's so many of those services now. You rattled off a, a bunch of them. I think that is a direction that's being explored and a direction we're going in. Because, I mean, ESPN is bleeding money right now. They're losing subscribers. They've laid off tons of people. They're
0: all their stars, all their on-air talent.
1: Yeah, I mean, look look at all the great names and people that we've come to welcome into our living rooms over the last twenty years that are no longer part of ESPN. I never thought that would happen.
0: They signed Pat McAfee to this ridiculous deal, and then a handful of weeks later, a lot of their on-air talent gets pink-slipped.
1: Yeah. And, uh, you know, they're, they're having to keep, for some games, they're having to keep uh, do the, the games remotely uh, in terms of, I've talked to a bunch of the guys who are sitting in their living rooms calling the games like you and I would do if we were, if we were watching the game they have a a few more camera angles maybe than we do, but are a a producer in their ear, but, uh, they're not seeing much more than we are. I don't think, um, I know one, one of my friends was approached recently about doing some games, uh, for ESPN this year. And the salary they threw at him was laughable. He turned them down. He said, "I'd, I'd rather not even work at all. So, um, I think that's something that's it's going to grow in the future. Uh, Apple, I know, is, is uh, making some strong inroads. And I, it's going to be interesting to follow that. I mean, look at everything else that's going on. Newspapers are dying or dead. Uh, shows like this are becoming prominent in America and going to become more prominent, 100%, I believe. 100%. Uh, guys like myself who used to be in the newspaper business or doing businesses on our own now. We're getting more readership than newspapers are. Uh, we can hit news instantaneously. Exactly. Beat TV, beat newspapers, beat radio, beat everything. I mean,
0: you talk talk radio, and you and I both have a background in talk radio on the radio dial on AM stations. Right. Now you think talk radio, folks are streaming our show literally on 11 states through bluetooth in their car as opposed to listening to am radio in their car where the frequency can be going in and out and to your credit and to your point the instantaneous nature of utilizing social media to break news and get the news out is not only the future it's the present because these things and for folks that are not watching me right now i have an iphone in my hand this has turned into almost like a drug addiction Yes. I don't know about you, but I check this thing like twenty. How many? How 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 much are you on Twitter every day? Constantly. Constantly, right? Me too.
1: And uh, we break a lot of news on Twitter, as do many people in my business. Um, and it, it's amazing. In terms of advertising, um, a lot of people who advertise in radio and they. If if you go to a radio station and say how many people are listening to my commercial on your show or how no many, idea how peop, how many people are listening to your show right they can't tell you they can't tell you but yeah. uh, if you ask me how many people are seeing my ad or how many people are reading my stuff or we have our analytics our stuff we have analytics yeah. I can tell you exactly I can tell you if you're watching it uh, on your phone or on your laptop or on your tablet um, what state you're in what country you're in uh, my website gets. Hits from all over the world every day, um, so it's. I, I think that's where we are now. I think I think these streaming services are going to be a player in the future. It's not just going to be ESPN and Fox. It's going to be Apple and and Amazon and and more people. I, I think that's the world we're in now, and it's only going to get. Uh, uh,
0: more interesting in that aspect. Spencer Godine, for example, is giving you props on LinkedIn. Spencer, thank you for watching. He is watching the show right now. He's a University of Virginia graduate. It looks like he works for Oracle right now, and he is watching the program in Texas austin texas right now love Um, austin texas love austin texas absolutely viewers and listeners leave your comments or questions in the feed like we're relaying them live on air we're happy to give you props and acknowledge the viewers and listeners of the talk show so what do we think i mean do we think that um here's here's what uh, a handful of the folks are putting on spotify i'm seeing this on youtube i'm seeing this on facebook that the power eventually is just going to be consolidated into a couple of super conferences and then the super conferences are just going to have divisions and those divisions will try to prioritize historic rivalries do we that, see it playing out that way that,
1: that you know a lot of people think that's the end game that uh, eventually there will be two super conferences that the Big Ten and the SEC will swallow everybody else and uh At that point, it it may come to that, to where there's a one super conference with 60 or 100, we don't know how many teams that will participate, Uh, and believe it or not, they'll break into geographical divisions, which is what we had to begin with, and they'll play, uh, they they could restore the, the old rivalries that we used to see, like Nebraska, Oklahoma, Texas, Texas A and M, stuff like that that we that we don't see much anymore. Nebraska, Oklahoma, because um, a lot of those rivalries are dead now, and that's that's a shame. Because I, I know we all grew up on that, and uh, if something like this doesn't happen, we may we may never see those again. And lo- maybe special circumstances, but uh,
0: do we have to worry about a rivalry like Virginia and Virginia Tech? or a rivalry well, like UVA could. and UNC? UVA-UNC is the South's oldest rivalry here.
1: We, we could because, uh, well, I, I don't know about Carolina and Virginia because they seem to be in lockstep. If one goes, if the ACC does break up, a lot of people believe that North Carolina and Virginia will be gobbled up by the Big Ten because of the academic uh, fit uh, that doesn't fit the SEC. Um uh, that that's where the Virginia Virginia Tech thing could uh, split and, and they, they wouldn't play each other anymore because they, they'd be in different conferences and they might not play each other anymore because you know if you, you've got if you've got conferences um, the big 12 the big 10 is now at 18 teams the SEC is 16 the big 12 at 16 the ACC if they bring in Cal and Stanford would be at 16. Uh, there may be a move to play more conference games because the ACC is already playing nine. They could end up playing ten. All these conferences could end up playing ten conference games or even more. Um, And if they do that, you you know, you're going to be very careful with those who you play non-conference. So you could play your rival, but you may not. You may not want to do that. You you may want to play a couple of... Cupcakes. Weak, weaker teams, yeah. cupcakes, yeah. Rent, rent-a-victims—I right. like to call them. Right. I mean,
0: a perfect—you need of wins. This, exactly. <laughs> a perfect example of this is you got Tony Elliott in his second season at the University of Virginia, a man and a coach who I still have a lot of hope for. Um, entering yes. his second year, he's got a new quarterback. He doesn't return a single starter on the offensive line. He's still trying to integrate or assimilate his recruits into the program, and and this guy is opening up the season with Tennessee. And then he's got a really difficult JMU team, and then he's got Maryland. I mean, we got three of we. The start of this season, Tennessee, JMU, Maryland is extremely difficult for a Wahoo football team that is searching for a brand identity, Hootie.
1: And don't forget NC State coming to town for the fourth game, bringing back Brennan Armstrong and Robert I, the former offensive coordinator who made Brendan Armstrong who he is, what he was. Yeah, yeah. Um, I, I think. Scheduling Tennessee, is it's like essentially they were selling a home game to go to Tennessee and make money. Uh, They're going to get a good payday out of that. Um, I I, I don't think that was a a really great move on their part. I know they need money for their athletic program, but opening up against Tennessee and Nashville, uh, Tennessee's – could be uh, fighting for an SEC championship. We're looking at a top-ten football team here. They, they they have a quarterback who's uh, – I wrote in my column today that uh, one of the guys who observed him in the, the Manning quarterback camp is the strongest arm he's ever seen in pro our college. So And he's just a freshman. So, uh, Tennessee's loaded. Uh, I mean, you just hope to go out there and, and not get blown out. Then you come back against JMU, and it's going to be their Super Bowl. They're going to come across the mountain with a fury, and they're going to want to show that they're the number one program in the state of Virginia. It it means everything to them. I don't know if Virginia quite understands that or not because they haven't played JMU in 40 years. Um, Then you go to Maryland on a Friday night, a Big Ten opponent, and even though Maryland is not a great football program, they – are further advanced down the road than Virginia is at this time, and then you got NC State. I, you could get off to a disastrous start, and I, I, I you know, I again, I, I don't think if you're trying to rebuild a program that you should play a tough schedule. I think you should go the route that Duke and Wake Forest did for years and are still doing to some degree in playing cupcakes. You win you. Build some momentum, you get some confidence, you get into bowl games, even if they're crappy bowl games. Uh, it, it's okay to play crap State University as a non conference game. And, uh, you know, uh, you got to, you got I think that's the intelligent way to, to build a program. Then, once you are up there, then you can take on world's best. But I don't think it's good to do that when you're trying to rebuild because it's a, when you get down in Division One football or FBS football and you know, Power 5 football, it's, it's a tough climb back up that ladder, man, because nobody's showing you any mercy. So I, I think they've gone about it in the wrong way. I, I hope that they look at that for future schedules in trying to uh, get this program back on its feet again. I, I wish Tony Elliott all the success in the world me too i I, I really like him he's a good guy i like his coaches uh they have some really great engaging athletes over there i've talked to a bunch of them in training camp so far i would love to see them do well but it's such an uphill climb right now jerry everything's stacked against virginia right now and it's 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 a tough road man
0: Questions coming in fast and furious. David Puso watching the program right now. Tim Carson, the realtor, watching the program. Lonnie Murray watching the program. James Watson, Bob Yarborough, Carly Wagner. Hello, thank you kindly for joining us. Jamie Turner, Heather Walker. Hello, and welcome to the show. Kelly Jackson, Brittany Gray, Tom Stargill, Dave Warwick. We're talking sports with Jerry Hootie Ratcliffe on the Jerry and Jerry Show here. Um, let's keep the comments coming. I love what's happening here. Um, Petey, thank you, Petey Lytle. PD Lytle giving us some props right now. He says, Noah, uh, Josie is a returning starter on the offensive line, FYI. And he says uh, the offensive line should be much improved, he hopes. We certainly hope that on this program. Yes. We, we have a quarterback that is untested, now under center. Um, we've heard positive things from training camp. Um, but let's cut to the chase. He's never played in the Atlantic Coast Conference. He's never opened with Tennessee. He's never played in front of what we hope is 50,000, 60,000 at Scott Stadium. I think the reality is if we hit 30,000 at Scott Stadium, that may be a success this year. What do we expect with this Virginia football team? at least in training camp, and how can the program potentially mature or improve as the season goes on. You and I were talking off air in our pre-production meeting that if we put the over-under at three-and-a-half wins for the 2023 season for this Virginia football team, that the large majority of the fan base would take the under on three-and-a-half wins. Your colleagues in the ACC picked this team to finish dead last in the Atlantic Coast Conference.
1: Right. Well, you know, Vegas is the one who put that three-and-a-half. Three and a half over/under on the season, and most people are taking the under. If you look at the schedule, it's a challenging schedule. They're, they're not going to be favored. I mean, if you if you take the three and a half over, that means they've got to win four games, and uh, it's it's hard to find four opponents on that schedule that they're going to be favored to beat. If you look at it, and uh, Uh, I appreciate the question. Noah Josie is a great kid. I had him on my radio show back when I used to do one for WINA, and uh, he's a a really good guy. Uh, A lot of people think that offensive linemen are the dumbos of the football team. It's actually the opposite. They're the smartest guys on the football team and uh, usually the most interesting guys to interview. But um, uh, some of these guys, even though they don't have a lot of starting experience on this offensive line, uh, have been in the program now. have had another year to build their bodies and their strength. I know that their new offensive line coach, uh, Terry uh, Heffernan, who came here from Stanford and has worked in the NFL and in various college programs, has worked really hard on fundamentals and, and is trying to build uh, some chemistry with that offensive line. And it's going to have to be good if this team is going to succeed because last year, Jerry, These guys only scored 17 points a game. In modern football, that is nothing. We're talking Xbox Xbox numbers is what you have to put up on the board. You have to score 30 points a game now just to be able to be in the game in the fourth quarter in most contests. Uh, Sometimes that's not good enough. We saw Virginia against BYU when the game was... Uh, you could score fifty and, and, and still and, lose, and would still lose. Yeah, uh, BYU put up seven hundred and some offensive yards against Virginia that night, but um, they're going to have to uh, be pretty darn good on the offensive line because they're going to have, have to protect Tony Um uh, I, I like him. I like his confidence. He has uh, a lot of starting experience, but it's not. Power 5 football starting experience. He's played in front of uh, really small crowds. Right. They're not much bigger than high school crowds. Right. He's going to be walking into a stadium of 60,000 people that want his head. I mean, his
0: first game is at Tennessee. Yeah. It's bananas.
1: Yeah. And the
0: uh, they just anticipate the Titan Stadium out there in Nashville. It's massive. Did they anticipate all along that Jay Wolfook was going to be the starter under center this year? No. Okay, so that was not the expectation. Now, I I don't think either I don't want to speak for you. I don't think either you or I have any beef with the decision that Jay chose to focus on baseball. No, not at all. I mean, he's got a major league arm and he's got an offensive line that's unproven right now, and the last thing that we all want Wahoo Nation was an injury to Jay's arm and 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 potentially limiting the tens of millions of dollars that's on the horizon with major league baseball.
1: Yeah, one sack on that shoulder and his career is done. Uh, I think he came to that realization when he was with USA uh, Baseball. Baseball. Yeah. And made that decision. I, I think up until then, I, I think he was thinking about coming back. Um, a lot of people, including myself, have criticized Tony Elliott a little bit for not anticipating that possibility and finding yet another quarterback. I read your column about that. And because if Tony Musket gets hurt, Jerry, And Tennessee is going to test him. Bring the house. They're going to bring the house and see what he's made of, see if he can read blitzes and stunts uh, like he's never seen before against an offensive line that's unproven. Might have a lot of potential, but it still has to prove itself. If he gets beaten up in that first game, we're looking at a backup
0: who... Who was playing high school football last what six months ago ten yeah. months ago
1: yeah he's never taken a college snap and nor has anybody behind him in the system mm-hmm. uh that that's mighty dangerous that's walking on incredibly thin ice in power five football so they better keep tony Musket upright and clean and i've talked to some of the linemen and and they take that very seriously i talked to a bunch of the, the guys about that in the past week or so um but it's uh, with no Jay Wolfock back there, and, and even Jay had limited experience at quarterback. He has been in the system, but he didn't play much last year. Um, it could be disastrous if he gets hurt in that first game against Tennessee. And, and, and yeah, you know, we're talking about the big boys, SEC football, they, they're out for blood. I mean, they want to put you on your back every play. And not that other teams don't, but the SEC brings a special kind of talent that a lot of schools just don't have that kind of <laughs> those kind of players on their roster. And, again, their, their coordinators are going to test Tony Musket from the opening snap to see what he's all about, to see if he can handle it. And it, I hope he can. I hope he gets through the game and with flying colors. But I'm just saying, if there's a risk there, if he gets hurt, this program could be in, in
0: dire straits. Sparkle Clark giving you props on Twitter. She follows you in your Twitter account. you got nine states on the program right now. Vanessa Parkhill in Earliesville, Virginia, says, My nitty Lions lost our in-state rivalry when we went into the Big Ten. So sad. Yeah. Pitt versus Penn State was always the last game of the season, like UVA versus Virginia Tech. Rivalry weekend means little to alums like me now. Um, I respect that comment right there from Vanessa Parkhill, who we've dubbed the queen of Earliesville. Chuck Ramey says, this is a fantastic show, absolutely very informative. PD is watching in Philadelphia, Pennsylvania, literally as we watch the show and host the show right now. Questions are coming in faster than I can keep up. Alex Erpy hello. He is the co-star of Today eMagnana on this network, which airs Thursdays at 10:15 a.m. He says this, so a question perhaps of ignorance here for you two boys. When was this schedule adopted, agreed upon? Was there an assumption at the tail end of the Mendenhall years that we would see continued improvement or an overreaction to hiring Tony Elliott last year and assuming instant success for the team. Not sure how long in advance such schedules are decided upon.
1: Well, most of these schedules are decided years in advance, right. unfortunately. Um, and, and that's a lot of these future schedules are going to be torn up now because of all the realignment and potentially in the ACC and Virginia as well. The Tennessee game, however, was, was added... In the offseason, Virginia was supposed to play um, – I uh, can't remember who it was now, but uh, I think Tennessee was opening up with BYU, and and uh, BYU, because of their conference realignment, they've joined the Big 12. They opted out of that game. So uh, Tennessee was looking for an opponent, and Virginia did not have to take that game. Uh, they could have probably found somebody – of lesser quality to maybe open up with a softer opening to maybe give these guys some experience, a win, some confidence. But uh, he is right that most of these schedules are done up in advance. Um, and and you know when some of these games were added, Virginia was probably playing well when Bronco took Virginia to back to back bowl games. They beat South Carolina and then gave Florida a heck of a game in the Orange Bowl in 2019. So some of these games were probably added then when he felt that he was going to be here for a long time, felt like the program was going to grow. So you you have to give them uh, some understanding for that. But I'm talking about future schedules. Um, I would not have added, I would not have played Tennessee. I would have played the weakest team I could find out there. Uh, somebody like New Mexico State or or something, you know, somebody like that on another FCS team or something who's really bad uh, just to try to get some confidence in this opening game of the season instead of putting everything at risk against uh, one of the better teams in the nation.
0: Do you buy this comment from PD? Petey? PD's watching in Philadelphia right now. He says, last year the Tennessee defense was ranked 91 in the nation. I'm not worried about that side of the ball going into game one, week one against the Vols. Do you buy that? I don't know if I necessarily buy that, especially with an unproven offensive line and a quarterback that's never, paid, never played power five football.
1: Well, Virginia's all of Virginia's metrics offensively last year were in the 100s. Uh, there's 130, well, 131 last year, 133 F- FBS teams in the country now. Virginia was ranked uh, 100 to 126 in most of those. And, and in terms of offensive production returning, Virginia ranks 126th in the nation out of 133 teams. Most of the guys that, that did produce the 17 points a game last year are gone. Um, even if you're going up against a defense that's not very good, you've got to do better than that. Uh, if if you go out and, and score 17 points against Tennessee in this game, you may give up 50. I, even though Virginia has a really good defense uh, and, and it was surprisingly good last year, and John Rudzinski, I give him props, He's he really impressed me last year with what he did with Virginia's defense as its new coordinator. And he's got eight starters returning, uh, even though they did lose their two best players who transferred out. But still, you're going to be going up against an, a dynamic offense in a hostile environment, and, and it's going to be something that, that Virgi- these Virginia players are not accustomed to. You don't, It's like walking into the Roman Coliseum. Yeah. Uh, Tennessee football—it's SEC football. It's a different world. Most ACC people can't relate to what Southern football is all about. It's—it's it's more than football. It's a religion, and it's three—it's three it's sixty-five. They, there's three sports in the SEC. It's football, football recruiting, and and spring football. It's—it's it's nothing else. And so they live and die football and. Um, it's just going to be an incredibly hostile environment out there. And I know people in the stands don't beat you, but they can, uh, they can rattle you. And, uh, you know, I, I don't care if Tennessee's defense was ranked 91 in the country last year. They won't be 91 this year. They'll be better than that, I guarantee, because they have designs on trying to win the SEC, at least their division.
0: Right now, Tennessee, ladies and gentlemen, 10th in the preseason coaches poll 10th yes. we're looking at a top 10 preseason um team here in week one this one's coming from orlando florida robert and orlando fellas i'm a wahoo graduate from 1987 i know he's only in his second season but is tony elliott on the hot seat a little early for that right
1: a little early for that i think the jury is still out i know uh The general consensus is you've got to give a coach four years to recruit to his system. Uh, I know that Tony has has a completely different training camp this year than he did last year. Last year they were going to class and going to camp at the same time. I don't think they're doing that as much this year. He's able to practice not at 6 o'clock or 7 o'clock in the morning. He's practicing in the afternoons. Uh, he has uh, he has them for longer periods of time for study, uh, studying the the, the system. Uh, they uh, a lot of these guys have been in the system for uh, two years now, or going on their second year. Uh, a lot of these guys are understanding it. They have flushed Broncos system, and um, I think things are just more comfortable. Uh, more cohesive than in the past uh, who knows what the future holds yeah, they, they could have a disastrous season again this year it wouldn't be surprising to most like you said uh, two wins, three wins they've been picked at the bottom of the league by just about everybody uh, their, uh, ESPN's uh, analytics rated them a 1% chance of winning the ACC this year or be even being in the championship game um, he uh, have noticed a little uptick in the recruiting of late uh, the last three or four of the, of the last five recruits they've gotten uh, have been recruited by really successful programs that Virginia isn't even on par with at the moment so if they, he can continue to bring in talent uh, he, he could possibly turn this thing around but it won't be easy uh, it's all about recruiting, guys. It's 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 not about the coaching. It's about getting good players in here. Uh, Bear Bryant, uh, one of the first, well, the first college football coach's first interview of my sports writing career, uh, once told me, and I got to know Bear Bryant a little bit back in the day. He once told me about. He says, "Son, if you don't know anything else." No recruiting. Because have you ever seen a jackass win the Kentucky Derby? <laughs> so I think that tells you all you need to know about football. Is, as Bill Dooley used to say, football is the lifeblood of any football program. <laughs> and he was right. If you don't have players, I don't care how well you can coach. It's it's all for naught. Uh, Coaching can make a difference, but you've got to have the players to
0: coach. I'll give you the schedule here. Uh, Viewers and listeners, will rattle off the schedule here. Eleven states on the program right now. Ask questions, share the show, like the show. We'll relay your questions and comments live on air on any social platform you're watching upon. Here's the football schedule. You tell me win or loss here. I want to see how we get... Okay, Tennessee, we've covered. I know, I know, right? (laughs) Tennessee, we've covered. I'll see if they're
1: going to be favored. Okay. Okay,
0: okay, well, how about we say Tennessee, we know it's a loss. What are you predicting? Four touchdown deficit right there?
1: Spread is 28.
0: Yeah, that's why four touchdowns right there. I'd take, I see Tennessee covering 28 at home. With a, state, so. with a statement to make,
1: I would I would say that's probably so. Yeah, they may be lucky to keep it to twenty eight.
0: Right, exactly, exactly, and I think that line's going to move. James Madison, you've already hit on this. The Dukes look at this matchup against UVA, against Virginia Tech, against Liberty, any of the in-state schools, as like a conference championship, like a Commonwealth championship here. And I was, I was putting on social media last year, and I follow your stuff constantly, that maybe the best football team in the Commonwealth is JMU. Do you see a loss or a win against the Dukes with, with, in Week 2?
1: I think this game is a toss-up, okay. just because it's in Charlottesville. And I think Virginia knows that it, it it has to win this game. This is a must-win for Virginia. If they lose this game, things could unravel in a hurry. Um, but you got you can't take JMU for granted. They right. beat some really good football programs last year, and. Uh, I don't I don't I, I don't know who the odds makers are gonna favor in this game I
0: think it's a toss-up okay toss-up right there you get three points for playing at home so maybe it's Virginia minus three maybe Virginia- a touchdown favorite, maybe at home? You're saying it's an even not, line. Probably a field goal. Okay, field goal. If that much. Maryland and College Park. I think I know the answer to this one here. Maryland will be favored. Maryland, NC State, Brennan Armstrong, Robert and I coming back to their old stopping grounds with a potential chip on their shoulder.
1: A huge chip on their shoulder. Robert and I was one of the most unhappy people in America when Bronco announced his resignation. He screamed at Robert, at Bronco Mendenhall in their meeting, he was so upset about Bronco resigning and leaving the coaches scattered to the wind. He's going to come back in here with a fury, and Brendan Armstrong is going to do the same thing. Huge
0: chip on his shoulder with Brendan Armstrong. uh, NC State will win that game. i got to ask you a Brendan Armstrong follow-up. This season, paramount for Brendan Armstrong. He goes from – he goes from under the Bronco Mendenhall era, maybe a second day pick, to in the Tony Elliott era, not on anyone's draft board here. How does Brendan Armstrong recalibrate or remodel his draft stock? Well, there, there's,
1: there's two, th- two uh, streams of thought on that. One is that I, I don't think Brendan Armstrong was going to be a pick. Okay. I, I think he would have been an undrafted free agent. Uh, he. He sent out a feeler to the NFL after that year, and there were no takers. Okay, just like last year. Yeah, he shopped himself out to the Big Ten, the Big Twelve, and the SEC through the transfer portal. No one wanted him. No tor- there were no takers. Right. Where did he go? ACC. Back.
0: Back. Followed his offensive coordinator.
1: Exactly. Yeah. Uh, some people believe he was a product of that system and can't adapt to another system. So he may have an incredible year this year, but I don't know that that spells out that he's going to play in the NFL. Do you think he's a product of the system? I do. Yeah. And I I say that because last year, and I know he was frustrated with the change in systems, and I know they tried to simplify it perhaps a little too late. Uh, Tony Elliott even said... That they assumed too much and introducing a new system to these guys that they that just never clicked. But still, we saw Brandon Armstrong miss receivers, wide open receivers, with no pressure on him last year, time and time again. He threw two pick sixes in two within fifteen seconds of one another. I, I just don't, I just don't see him making it in the NFL. You know, he, I may eat those words. I may be eating, eating some crow on this show <laughs> sometime next year, but uh, I just don't think that that he's an NFL quarterback.
0: Boston College, Chestnut Hill.
1: It's going to be interesting because uh, B.C. is one of the teams that's picked down at the bottom with Virginia. I think that game is a winnable game. It is on the road, and that that. That leaves a question mark. Uh, the pressure that guy is on the hot seat. If they have another bad year, he's gone. Coach Hadley, I think his name. Uh, and I think they lost their quarterback to to uh, he, he went to another ACC program. I can't remember which one, maybe Pitt. But um, uh, that's a chance for an upset win on the road. But I, I think BC will probably be a slight favorite in that game, just because Virginia could be coming off. Um, some losses.
0: Um, You have another uh, matchup to follow closely, an in-state rivalry. I think I can use that term. Um, With, excuse me, an out-of-state rivalry, the South's oldest rivalry, William & Mary and then North Carolina, followed by the University of Miami. William & Mary, UNC, Miami, what do you make of those three?
1: Virginia will be favored against William & Mary, even though William & Mary is picked to win their league, the CAA, and are coming off a playoff appearance last year. Uh, Mike London certainly would love to pull off an upset there, uh, and he has a lot of former Wahoos on his coaching staff, but I think Virginia will be favored to win that game and should win that game if Tony Musket remains upright at that point.
0: Um, Comments are coming in so fast here. 12 states on the program, Hootie Ratcliffe. um, Let's go, let's go. Hurricanes, let's go. Tar Heels, Tar Heels on October 21st, the Hurricanes in Miami, South Florida on the 28th of uh, of October before we get to November and the final four games of the season. What do you make of UNC and the Miami Hurricanes, Hootie? Uh,
1: Virginia will definitely be favored to lose to Mack Brown and and Carolina. they have aspirations of finishing in the, I would say, the top two. But they do have a Heisman-type quarterback in Drake May. And if he has a great year, who knows? They, and uh, their weakness has been their defense in, in recent years. If they can shore up their defense, they, they could be in the mix for a decent ball game. So uh, they will definitely be favored
0: to win that game. Um, Carolina. Multiple people are saying, "You'll appreciate this." Multiple people are saying on the feed. I'm seeing this on Facebook, on Spotify, on YouTube, and on uh, on Twitter. Is it time for men's basketball and Tony Bennett to get <laughs> kicking and going? We'll get to the Wahoo basketball team to close the program. Before we do, how about the uh, the Miami Hurricanes right around Halloween?
1: That's going to be an interesting game because Miami is been known to underachieve greatly in past years. Virginia usually gives them a strong game, no matter where the game's played. Last year, Virginia couldn't score against them. They, they had so many ample opportunities to beat Miami and couldn't do it. They just couldn't score. Uh, I think they, if, if there's an upset brewing somewhere on that schedule, I think that would be it. Uh, at that point, if Miami is having not the year that people expect them to have. There's been a tendency for Miami players to throw in the towel. Um, I'm not sure their quarterback is as good as advertised. Mario Cristobal is the coach. Uh, He talks a good game, but so far he hasn't produced down there. I think if Virginia is going to pull an upset this year, I think that's the game. But they will be favored to lose that game.
0: You've you got a November slate that's Georgia Tech, Louisville, Duke, and, of course, the Virginia Tech Hokies at Scott Stadium in Charlottesville. Last game of the season, what jumps out at you, Georgia Tech in Charlottesville, Louisville at Louisville, Duke at home, and Virginia Tech to close the season? Virginia may be
1: favored to beat Georgia Tech. Uh, Georgia Tech is a new head coach. He was an interim last year. He, he took over halfway through the season when they fired their coach during the season. Um, they're scrambling down there as well and Virginia has dominated Georgia Tech here there's a curse on Georgia Tech in Scott Stadium and has been ever since they knocked off number one Virginia in 1990 on that fateful night that we all would like to erase from memory it was probably the best college football game I've ever covered in my life Wow! Um, in fact Furman Bisher the who wrote until he was 90 years old for the Atlanta Journal-Constitution and was truly an institution in sports writing, said that was the best college football game he had ever covered, had ever seen. So I feel like uh, he was exactly right about that. Um, I think Virginia might pull, that, pull off that win. Uh, I think that's one of the games that in that three and a half that they'll be favored to win. Uh, after that, I, I'm not. Sure. I think there's slim pickings. Louisville has a new head coach. Jeff Brom comes in from Purdue. Uh, Jeff Brom would probably have been Virginia's head coach had Bronco Mendenhall turned it down. I know they, he had been here for an interview, was scheduled to come back for a second interview, but Bronco took the job, and uh, Jeff Brom ended up leaving Western Kentucky for Purdue. He struggled a little bit out there, but is coming home to Louisville. Played quarterback at Louisville, if I'm not mistaken. Um, That's going to be an interesting game, but it is at Louisville, and Louisville is – Virginia struggled to win out there. Virginia will be favored to lose that game. Duke and Virginia Tech. Duke uh, is interesting. Uh, That coach came in. He was a finalist for the Virginia job with Tony Elliott. He went into Duke last year and won nine. Ten games, uh, incredible coach ACC coach of the year, uh, with talent that was people were questioning whether they had that much talent, and and he did an incredible job. Uh, it's at Duke, I believe. Um, oh, here in Charlottesville. Oh, it's at, yeah, that's right. That game is in Charlottesville. Uh, Duke will be favored to win, but uh, depending on where Virginia stands at that point of the season. They could give them a game just because I think it's Duke, and Virginia still thinks that even though Duke
0: beat them soundly last year, I think Virginia still thinks they can play with Duke. Virginia Tech to close the season. Here's a comment from Vanessa. She said, I heard an interview with the Virginia Tech head football coach where he talked about his predecessor's lack of recruiting in the 757 and how he plans to attack the 757 and recruit the Commonwealth very hard. Hootie, who wins the in-state recruiting battle, UVA or Virginia Tech? And then I'll add to that comment by saying, what do you make of this matchup?
1: Virginia Tech is winning that battle right now. Uh, Neither school is doing a great job in the state of Virginia uh, at this point. And because Penn State is coming in and taking players, Maryland is coming in. uh, Maryland is a, a new rival for Recruiting in the state because they picked up some steam. Uh, North Carolina hasn't done as well this year. They lost. They Mac Brown got rid of Dre Bly, who had uh, taken a lot of good recruits from the Tidewater area into Chapel Hill. And Virginia and North Carolina lost out on those. Right now. It's a struggle for Tech and Virginia to convince kids to stay home because neither program has produced in the last several years. So um, right now Tech is winning that battle. Uh, It's still got a ways to go. Uh, I'm not sure the talent in the state is quite as good this year and as deep as it has been in recent years. But um, that's to be determined. But right now I think Tech has the upper hand. In, in recruiting, and uh, uh, Virginia is, seems to be going the route that Bronco all do. Bronco's recruiting in the state of Virginia was disastrous. They didn't do a very good job, but they did a great job outside the state where Virginia still has a good reputation as a program and a school. So I don't think in today's modern football you necessarily have to own your state to be successful Clemson doesn't recruit that much out of South Carolina they go to other states Um, a lot of schools do that now and and Virginia is getting a lot of good recruits out of Georgia believe it or not And um, so I, I don't think you necessarily have to win your state to be good but you do have to get your share and I think that's where Virginia has come up short and they need to correct that uh, in terms of the season, this season's game, you know Tech's going to be favored. I don't care what the circumstance is at the end. Tech has ruled the the rivalry. Um, this game is in Charlottesville, which should help them. There's some games that Virginia should have won in this series in the last eight years or so and just couldn't pull it off, couldn't get the job done. Tech got to give... Credit to Tech for coming back and winning a couple of those games they shouldn't have won. Um, Virginia has to stop the bleeding there at some point. The game is here. I, it, you know, it depends on, you know, I don't know what kind of year Tech's going to have. They're not predicted to do very well either. So um, I think Tech will be favored to win that game and probably will just because they, uh, It. It. Uh, you know, I've covered both programs uh, during my career. and. For some reason, and I don't know what it is, uh, it, that game seems to mean more to Tech players than it does to Virginia players. I know some of that was Bud Foster. When he was there, he would uh, get his team incredibly psyched for that game. I, I'm sure not. I'm, I'm still not sure why Virginia players sometimes didn't get up as much for that game. It might be partly because a lot of the guys aren't from Virginia and don't understand the rivalry until it, they uh, until they're faced with it didn't used to be that way when Virginia did rule the state in recruiting and, and had great players and that game meant everything to them and, and Virginia did great in the rivalry but um, I've noticed in, in the last 20 years or so the game seems to mean more to Tech than it does to Virginia explain that to me I don't Quite understand it.
0: Jerry Ratcliffe dropping facts and knowledge right here on the program. Bill Smith says Hootie is the absolute best, and he says I'm catfish. By the way, uh, Bill Smith watching the show.
1: My golfing partner,
0: uh, Richmond Times Dispatch is watching us right now on the program. Welcome to the uh, welcome the Times Dispatch newsroom to the show. I see a lot of folks in the Roanoke Valley, the New River Valley watching the program, as well as a lot of folks in southwestern. Virginia watching the show. The local TV station right down the street is on the feed right now watching Hootie and I on this program. Um, Many folks are saying, is it basketball season already? It's 1134. (laughs) Hootie and I have gone in an hour and 20 minutes almost without taking a commercial break or stopping. We bleed ACC sports. We know it. We love it. We follow it. Um, Men's basketball, Tony Bennett. Let's close on a positive note here. What do we make of this team what do we make of our early conversations you've had from Tony Bennett's bunch?
1: I, I was asked that question, is it basketball season yet a month ago, Jerry? <laughs> <laughs> so some people are late to that party. Uh, I think this basketball team has the potential to be better than last year's team. Uh, I know last year's team won the ACC regular season. I don't know if this team will duplicate that or not. But I think this team has a chance to be more successful in the postseason than last year's. I think this team uh, is a little deeper and has more scoring threats than last year's team. There were times last year, Jerry, especially down the stretch, when this team struggled to score. There, some of the guys just lost their their rhythm or lost their shots or something or were defended better or. Or what a game planned against better? I think it's going to be harder to do that against this team. I think Isaac McNeely is going to be—he's uh, put on weight, and muscle. He, he has. He's he's a stud, and I th- I think he's going to be better. I think he's going to be. They're going to. F- uh, he's going to be hunt shots more than he did in the past. I think he's going to be more aggressive. They've recruited some other guys that can shoot the eyes out of it. Rody uh, was led off uh, freshman in the. In the nation in scoring last year, he's a dead eye. Uh, the uh, the, ki- the kid from Oklahoma they brought in can shoot it. Uh, they've they've got some guys who can light it up, and um, I, I just think there's just uh, they've they've done a good job in replacing the talent that they had with, in some cases, better players. I believe, um, and it seems to me they're they're playing they're practicing against each other now and they're building uh, the one question I had is can this team build chemistry and after talking to uh, my son Scott uh, has done some interviews with some of the new players and we've talked to some of the older players as well and I I think that chemistry is is being built as we speak they're working hard and uh, I I just think it's going to be a very exciting season for Virginia basketball fans and uh, Tony Bennett it, it's amazing, Jerry. He, After the transfer portal hit this past spring, he was down to four players in the program. Uh, and Reese Beekman, of course, was out there. We weren't sure where he was going to go, if he was going to go to the NBA or not. And one of the biggest things that's happened to this program is Reese Beekman returning. Absolutely. He's going to be one of the premier players in the nation this year. And uh, it's his team. And I think he's going to take this very seriously and try to put this team back into the limelight again. But you got to give Tony Bennett and his staff incredible credit for going out in the transfer portal and finding players that fit his system. And he has a unique way of recruiting. We'll talk about that deeper uh, as we future, get closer. in future shows. But. I've got some very interesting stories to tell about Tony Bennett and how he approaches players and how he convinces them. And I'm not sure he does it on purpose. I think it's just who he is and part of what comes up in conversation that convinces these players. And it's, nothing, it's, it's subtle things that a lot of people wouldn't even think matters, but it matters everything in the world to these kids. And I think that's what makes him who he is and why he's so successful and why people want to play for him.
0: Jerry Ratcliffe on fire today. This is the Jerry and Jerry Show. We went literally almost 90 minutes of talking UVA and ACC sports. And this is what you can expect, long-form content highlighting the programs that matter to you. And we relay the content on your phones and across social media, devices that are in our hands 24-7, 365, we're excited for all sports. All what we want um, from this program is for you to appreciate the content. We want success for all UVA teams because when the Virginia sports teams, the UVA sports teams, the ACC sports teams are doing well, the engagement is at higher levels. And when the engagement is at higher levels, we all win from that. Hootie Ratcliffe, this was an absolute joy sitting across from you for 90 minutes. Had a
1: blast, man. It, it flew by. This was by. fun. Right? What? It flew by the it time. It flew by, yeah, 90 never. Uh, faster 90 minutes of my life I don't think
0: <laughs> I truly enjoyed it as well the show is archived on all social media platforms we will package the show and set it to the fabulous Scott Ratcliffe as well so you can get this content on jerryratcliffe.com we'll get this content up on iloveseville.com as two very established brands partner together to highlight ACC sports and UVA sports for your enjoyment we would be remiss not to highlight the man behind the scenes Judah Wickhauer Hootie and I have the easy job. We get to sit in front of the cameras and the microphones and talk about topics that we love to do. Judah Witkower has the challenging job, especially yes, on the first show <laughs> yes. when we were scrambling to get everything um, ready to rock and roll. So, Judah, we salute you. We applaud you. Thank you kindly. Um, and the show is now Tuesdays at ten fifteen a.m. And we'll look to expand upon that as we build our partner roster. And any businesses out there that want to partner with the Jerry and Jerry Show, please reach out to either one of us. We're excited to partner with you um, on this program and on this network. Thank you kindly for joining us. Thank you for tuning in. We appreciate you. We appreciate you so much. So long, everybody. Take care.